Good morning once again. Good morning. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord with you guys again this morning. My name is Luke Martin. For those of you that don't know, my name is Luke Martin. I'm the student minister here at Gateway. Uh, We had to do a little bit of uh, campus shuffling today. Brian is over in St. Albans, uh, filling in for Dave while he is uh, fulfilling some military duties. So, um, so yeah, you're you're stuck with me. You can't you can't leave now. I mean, I guess you can, but I, I'll I'll know I'll know who you are. So, um, but yeah, uh, it's good to be here. Uh, we it's good to have you, especially if it's your first time here at Gateway. Uh, and uh, you know, last week was the Fourth of July, uh, and I hope that you had an incredible Fourth of July weekend. And I hope that you're showing up this morning with the same amount of fingers as you had on July 3rd. Uh, If not, um, well, maybe some of you can only count to seven now. Uh, Hopefully that's not the case, but uh, take your shoes off. You might, might get a little higher there. But anyways, we, last week we wrapped up our series, uh, The Themes of Genesis, and that was a series where we were talking about, uh, last week specifically, where we were talking about the blessing that God gave to Abraham, and he also gave us through Abraham. Now the Bible, it is, it is one long, intentional story of God revealing himself and his love for us, and, and we are in it. We, we are in that story, and you might, uh, you might not have known uh, that you were in it, or, or maybe you did, but uh, did you know that we were in it all the way back in at Genesis 12? Right? That's right. Some 4,000 years ago, God was already talking about the blessing, the spiritual blessings that he would be bestowing upon us today. Our God is an awesome God. Amen. Amen. This month, we're going to be uh, going back through our Pray for One series that we started at the beginning of the year, and we're going to be kind of doing a, a checkup here. Uh, and as I said, at the beginning of the year, we introduced this Pray for One as kind of our 2022 theme. And we said it's something that we want to continue to do uh, for the rest of the year, and hopefully something that we continue to do for the rest of our life, Right? And we saw some great stories earlier this year with the ones, with some of our ones coming to Jesus or or coming back to Jesus. And it was a great, it's been a great reminder of how powerful prayer is when we actually use it. So how's that going? How's that going? Are you still praying for your one? Are you still interceding on their behalf daily? I certainly hope so, because there's a lot at stake for your ones. But if not, if not, I'd guess that you're not alone, right? You're probably not alone out there. Perhaps the switch to summer has made it to where you haven't seen your one as often, uh, so you haven't been around them as much. Or maybe, uh, maybe with the way that the world has been recently, you've kind of focused your prayers elsewhere because those bigger issues kind of seem just well, a little bit bigger, right? They, they kind of uh, call our, our, our prayer, uh, our, our, our focus for prayer on, on those issues going on in the world right now. Maybe you've just been so busy that it's, that it's just been slipping your mind to pray for your one. And I know we don't like to admit it, especially in church, but sometimes we get so busy and we get so distracted that we don't spend much time in prayer at all. 
But this is why we are, are circling back to it. We're coming back to, our, to pray for one because we truly do believe that this has the power to change not just our church, but it has the power to change our community. We believe that through this power of, of, uh, of focused, intentional prayer that God can bring back even the most lost souls. And earlier this year, one of our, our Taze Valley members they, uh, they chose their cousin as their one. And God was faithful in her prayers. A few weeks later, uh, after, after she chose her as her one, Brian was able to baptize her cousin and her cousin's husband. But the story doesn't end there. God was still working. That day, their son, uh, the, the, her cousin and her cousin's husband, their, their son was here at church with them, and uh, he had been out of church for some time, and he had kind of been in, in a bad place for, for quite some time. However, since that day, he's turned his life around, and he is back in church, and it's been a remarkable transformation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our Taze Valley member, they, they, uh, she has said that she has been blown away and so thankful for the work that God has done. And, and the best thing about it all is, is get this. She said that she, uh, she, she didn't think that she could be more amazed with God after all these years of following him. But she, she was. She was absolutely amazed in this situation. She was wrong in her assumptions there, right? Friends, have you decided that you can't be amazed by God anymore? Have you convinced yourself that your one is just too far from God, that they can't come back? Because I'm here to tell you today that he absolutely can bring them back. And he's still doing big things today. And I have real, tangible evidence of life change that is possible through the tremendous power of prayer and surrender. I could, I could talk about uh, my trip to Haiti and how uh, prayer changed the, the, our, our surrender in prayer. It wasn't anything that we did, but our, our surrendering, uh, our heart surrendering to God through prayer uh, and petitioning on this little boy's life, uh, I believe truly uh, that is what saved his life in that. So there's real evidence of prayer working. And so, yes, with all the chaos that's going on in the world right now, it's, cra it's a crazy time and we can get so distracted, but I think we need to block out the noise and block out the distractions that are keeping us from praying for our one because there are real people around us every day that need Jesus in their lives. And I hope that we will take a spiritual responsibility for them and pray for them knowing that God can change their life. Amen? Last week, we ended the message by reading the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we said that we have been spiritually blessed to be a blessing. So you might think that, that the themes of Genesis and then going straight into prayer for, pray for one, you might think that they don't go together, but they most certainly do. Because we have all been spiritually blessed 
through Jesus Christ, not to sit on our hands, sit back and be silent, but to reach and teach others, loving them and praying for them. And after this series, we're, we're going to be going through uh, a series titled Themes of Revelation, where we study it just like we did uh, the book of Genesis. And so we're kind of smashing this Pray for One series right in the middle. Uh, and why? Well, because that's what we're supposed to be doing in this in-between time, is reaching others with the gospel. And for most of us, reaching the nations and reaching uh, others, it starts by reaching our ones. We can watch the news or, or we can read the opinions of others and get really excited or get really angry, but the truth is you have a greater chance of making an impact and affecting change when you pray for one than you do by voting in an election. I might be stepping on some toes here. But you make a greater impact also when you pray for one than you do when you make that sassy post on Facebook. And oftentimes, pray for one is it's personal because it's somebody who's close to us, right? It's somebody that, that might be a family member or a prodigal son or daughter or a spouse that isn't interested in this church thing at all, right? For others, for others it might be someone, uh, a friend who is just... Uh, Disinterested, disinterested in this whole spiritual thing uh, to begin with, and they're just lost and, and looking for hope and love in all the wrong places. And you can see that they are on a path to nowhere, but there's nothing that you can do. And the hard part in all of these situations across the board is that we know the truth, is that apart from Jesus, they will spend an eternity in hell. And certainly we know that their life on, on this earth, it would be fuller with Jesus. But the thought of them spending eternity in hell is something that we just can't bear to let happen. And it spurs us into action. Or at least, I hope it does. Unfortunately, though, the church has spent a lot of time telling people, though, that they are going to hell and not quite enough time trying to introduce them to the one who can save them from it. We know only Jesus can save them, but he has given us the responsibility to reach out to and pray for them and our family and our friends, starting with the one whose name we wrote down at the beginning of the year on these walls here, the names that are still up there that I hope we are still praying for. And if you haven't written a name, then you still have time. It's, it's not too late. The markers, I believe, yeah, they're still on the table, both tables there. And we would love... Uh, for you to, to write uh, someone, a, a name that you will commit to be praying for uh, over the next, well, however long it takes for them to, to meet Jesus, right? But this morning, we're going to be going uh, through Mark chapter 7. So if, if you have your Bible, uh, you can go ahead and join me there. But this morning, I want to take you through this great story, uh, this great incident in the life of Jesus that teaches us to be fervently praying for our one. Mark chapter 7, starting with verse 24, says this, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon and entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. 
But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go away, may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. What a great story. What a great story right here. It's, an, it's, a, it's a great example of how persistence in prayer pays off. And it reminds us that there are no outsiders in God's family. It teaches us that there's no crumb left on the master's table that is, that is not, that is not uh, useful or substantial or satisfying, right? Everything on the master's table is useful. We can gain something from it. So I want to break this story apart uh, this morning and look at it a little bit closer. And the first thing that we see when we do that is when Jesus is in the house, people are going to notice. Now, Jesus, he had gone north to uh, the region of Tyre and Sidon, and, and perhaps he was trying to make, uh, to take a, a little break from, from his busy schedule, right? He was trying to just get away from the, the busy ministry that he, was, that he was going, and he was trying to get to a place where people wouldn't recognize him so he could just rest. He could just take a break. Jesus did everything on purpose, though. So maybe he was teaching his disciples a little lesson uh, for later, and that, that, that the gospel and its ministry would branch out from the Jews and be taken to the Gentiles. Tyre and Sidon, the region that he went to, they were two of the most important cities in ancient Phoenicia, which was north of Israel on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. This was Gentile ter- territory. It was Gentile territory, and there was no hiding that. There was no secret, right? When the people, uh, but, but even, even in this area, Jesus' reputation preceded him. Jesus, he was and he still is a compassionate healer, and there was no hiding that. When, the people, uh, when, when people need real help, when they are desperate for hope and healing, Jesus is the only place to turn. And when he is the main object of our worship and our teaching, well, when he is the one that we are pointing people to, when he is the one who, who is lifted up, people are going to notice. And I'm not just talking about other Christians, right? I'm talking about people in your workplace. When you, when you are living a life that points to Jesus, they will notice. I'm talking about friends at your school, right? When you are living a life that follows and points to Jesus, people are going to notice. I, I'm talking about people in the community. When you are living a life pointing to and modeling a life after Jesus, people will notice not you, but Jesus. Maybe even the barista at Starbucks. If you go there enough, which uh, hopefully I make an impact on her one day, you know. Uh, I go there way too much. Anyways, your one will notice. When you are living a life modeled after Jesus, your one will notice. Not you, 
but Jesus. But that's the thing about Jesus, is that people are drawn to him. It's how we are wired. It's, it's, it's in our DNA, right? People get sidetracked, and they worship a lot of different things when they're searching for love and hope, right? And they, they'll look in a lot of wrong places, but there's something about Jesus that we simply cannot deny. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, he said, and I And I, when I am lifted from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. People will notice Jesus. Another point I want to touch on from this story is that needy and desperate people will come to Jesus. The woman who came, she was a Gentile, and Mark says that she was a Syrophoenician by birth, which means that she was born right there in that area. So Matthew, uh, in his account uh, of this story, he refers to her as a Canaanite woman, and that's in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, and she was desperately seeking help for her demon-possessed daughter. Here in Mark 7, uh, he says that she threw herself down at Jesus' feet and begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. What would it look like if people were truly convinced that this place, that this body of believers, that this church was a place that they could come and cast all their cares and their worries and their problems and their sickness and their desperation on Jesus. This place would be packed, right? This place, we wouldn't be able to hold everybody in this building because our world is teeming with needy and desperate people who need Jesus. But, it, but could it be that we just haven't invited them? Could it be that we, we haven't let them know that they are welcome here, that we want them here, right? Could it be that we need to do a better job of getting out of the way so they can get to Him? Trust me when I say that your one is, is needy. Your one is desperate. They may not know it yet, but it won't be long before they do. Another important point from the story here is that to Jesus, everyone matters. To Jesus, everyone matters. And at this point, I think it would help us to imagine that Jesus is up to more than what meets the eye here, and that there is more at play uh, in this text than what we're actually reading. Otherwise, if we just read through it, you know, at service level, we might get this false impression of Jesus. Uh, But in Matthew's account of the story, Jesus seems to be ignoring this woman, right? He seems to be ignoring her plea for help, her cry for help, uh, even to the point where the disciples are kind of begging Jesus to notice her and and, and then send her away. Acknowledge her and get her out of here, right? They seem to be annoyed with her passion and, and her persistence. And it's at this point that Jesus says, I think looking at the disciples, but speaking to her, he says, I'm only here for the Jews. Right before this, though, in verses 1 through 23, they had just come, come out of this long discussion, uh, kind of heated discussion, with some Pharisees about what was clean to God and what was unclean to, in, in the eyes of God. And Gentiles, as we all know, were unclean in the eyes of of God, right? Long after this, in Acts 10, though, God had to show Peter uh, that Gentiles were no longer considered 
unclean to God. And this was kind of a, a purveying thought in Jewish culture and something that the disciples had been raised believing. Peter, he was, he was hard-headed. So Jesus is teaching them. Here he is right in the middle of an unclean city, an unclean region, yet he's driving the point home with this real-life example, this unclean person using them as an example in this parable, right? In the eyes of God, everyone starts out in the same place. We're all sinners. We're all in need of grace, right? Isaiah, the prophet, said that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. To Jesus, everyone matters. And this is why he, he, he put the name of your one on your heart because she matters to God and he matters to God. What makes this story so good, though, is the little interaction between Jesus and the woman. And I think there was a little twinkle in Jesus' eye here uh, that, that kind of invited this response from the mother. He said in verse 27, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, the children that Jesus is referring to here are the Jewish people, right? They were the ones that were initially invited to the master's table, but that was before Jesus came to the scene. Maybe, maybe when I get to heaven one day, I'll, I'll ask Jesus, uh, you know, uh, I can confirm this, but I think he kind of gave uh, this mother a little wink and maybe a little grin whenever he said this. And I think that's why she responded with this in verse 28, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. If the Jewish people were, were considered the children of God, then the Gentiles were the dogs. And some scholars, they believe that, that, Jewish, that the Jewish people, they had become so arrogant in their religion that they referred to anyone on the outside as dogs. And what a harsh example of prejudice, right? But in this exchange, in this exchange, the word that Jesus used for dogs was not the same word that they would often use. This, this, uh, this word is the Greek word uh, that is equivalent to our word for puppy. So Jesus, Jesus he kind of softened it a little bit. And again, I, th I think perhaps with a wink and a smile, uh, he did this. Because to Jesus, everyone matters, even those whose society has cast out. One final point that I want to make here is that persistence in prayer pays off. I can't help but think that this woman was, was starting to kind of feel like the psalmist that wrote the words that we read for our focus time this morning. Let me read that one more time. Psalm 69, 13 through 18. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. And maybe you felt like, maybe you felt like that sometimes. Maybe you can relate to that, right? 
It's a prayer of desperation. It's a prayer of crying out to God. And this mother, she is desperate. She is desperate for her little daughter to be rid of this demon. How long has she been dealing with this, right? How long has this mother seen her little daughter suffer? She's here begging Jesus to cast this demon out. And she's crying out for just a crumb, just a crumb of healing and relief. And she finally got what her heart desired. I think her response brought a huge smile to Jesus' face. She definitely pleased his heart because he granted her request. He says, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And that's exactly what she found when she went home. A daughter who had been healed by the wonderful grace and and mercy of Jesus and because of a mother's persistence in prayer. Did Jesus heal her daughter, you know, just just because of, of some magic words? No. No, he healed her daughter because the mother's persistence in prayer and her genuine faith. So as we wrap up, uh, a few quick application points from this story as we pray for our one. As you continue to pray for your one, also continue to lift Jesus up. That's what our one needs to see, right? Our one needs to see us lifting Jesus up. He or she needs to know that you are 100% committed to Christ. And what may seem like crumbs to you is solid food for your one. Nothing that originates from the master's table or from the table of God disintegrates into crumbs. It is all good. Second point is that as you continue to pray for your one, stay encouraged that no case is too hard for Jesus. This one wasn't, right? Many others in the, in the pages of the gospel, in fact, all others in the pages of the gospel, uh, they, they weren't. They weren't too hard. Countless others throughout history have not been too hard, and neither is yours. Your one is not too lost. Your one is not too far gone. Your one is not too dirty or, or unclean or too sinful. Jesus, it is not too hard for him. It is not too hard for Jesus. The last thing is that as you continue to pray for your one, rest in his love and his grace. Because that's what he offers you, and that's what he offers your one. So keep praying, fervently praying. Keep praying, fervently praying for your one. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love others. And it's in our mission statement here at Gateway. Uh, that, and when we, pray, when we pray for one, when we pray for others, we are actively obeying those two commands. First, we are loving the person by, uh, by praying for them and bringing them into the presence of God. And that's the greatest good that we could ever do. Secondly, we are loving God by showing our, uh, our dependence upon him and the faith that he is the only one who can save them, just like the Gentile woman in Mark chapter 7. So keep praying. Don't give up. Pray fervently with with the faith that God is there and that he is listening. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that through this story, we can see how, how prayer 
pays off, how prayer works, how, how when we bring our, our cares, our hearts, our desires, when we, when we surrender those to you, God, we see that, that, you, that you take action. And it's not that you begin to work. It's not that you have just been sitting back, you know, passively waiting for us to do something, but you've been working the entire time. But, but I, I truly believe that it is a surrender on our part. Uh, that, that's what you are teaching us in those times. So Father, help us to, to surrender our ones over to you. Help us to, to carry them into your presence, to lift them up because because they matter to you. Their salvation matters to you. Father, impress that upon us. Remind us of that daily. Encourage us. Uh, help, us uh, help us to stay encouraged to, to continue to lift them up and pray for them as we go throughout our life. We ask these things in your name. Amen. If you, uh, if you have a decision to make this morning, I'll be up here uh, to your left. Uh, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you. Maybe that's uh, about baptism. Uh, maybe you want to pray for your one. Maybe something's going on. Maybe you're just struggling with it right now. I'd love to pray with you for your one. Maybe you, haven't ha- you don't have a one yet, and you want to take this, this time during this next song to come up and write uh, your, your one's name on the wall. Maybe, maybe you... Your one has already come to Christ. They've, they've uh, come to Christ for the first time or they've come back to him and maybe you've got a new one. Come write it on the wall. Whatever it is, though, I'll be up here in the front. And I, like I said, I'd love to pray with you. Um, but at, um, during this time, uh, we're, we'll ask you to stand and sing this final song with us.